Well, we made it. This is an exciting morning. I hope the, uh, hope the building team gets a nap this afternoon. Um, when sailors take a ship on its maiden voyage, they often have a ceremony where they christen the boat, they give it a name, uh, they you know, smash a bottle of champagne on the bow, and basically bless the voyage, bless the ship. Um, we aren't going to name the building, I don't think, and, and I would get in a lot of trouble if I broke anything on the stage uh, this morning. But this is our first service here, a maiden voyage of sorts, and Psalm 67 is a prayer of blessing. And so as we, as we begin our life in this new church building, um, celebrate the opening of this facility, let's make this psalm our prayer uh, today. We're going to see three things from Psalm 67 today. First, what we should pray, uh, what we should pray today. Second, uh, we will see why we pray this, uh, why we pray this. And third, uh, we will we'll see what we can expect from God. Okay, so what we should pray, why we should pray this, and what we can expect from God. Pray with me one more time as we begin. Father, thank you so much for bringing us to this moment. Would you give us focus now as we open your word? Um, and would you speak to us uh, through your word by the Holy Spirit? We need to hear from you. We need to hear your voice. Uh, so would you speak to us in every way that we need to be spoken to? Lord, would you open our hearts? Uh, would we be receptive to hear what you have to say? Um, and would you, would you be gracious to us even this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First, what we should pray. What we should pray today. Verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. This is an echo of the, the famous priestly blessing from the Old Testament, from Numbers chapter six, uh, when, when, uh, when Aaron, the, the, the blessing that Aaron and his sons were told to, uh, to say over the, the Israelites. This is number six, 23. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. And this way they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. We, we should ask God uh, to be gracious to us and to bless us as God's people have throughout the ages, right? Starting with Aaron and his sons and all the way to today. No, notice a few things about this blessing. One, um, to bless us, God will have to be gracious, right? It says, be gracious to us and bless us. Um, gra grace is an undeserved kindness, right? The, the prerequisite for grace is that you can't deserve it. You don't deserve it. And so this requires an understanding of our own sin, of how we don't deserve it. All of us, even the most holy or righteous person that you know, comes to God on the same level, right? We, we come to God on the same level. Isaiah, the prophet of God, right, of of the Bible, who wrote the book, Isaiah. Um, when he comes in contact with God, what does he say? Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He realizes his own sin. This leads him to write later on in his book um, that all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Right? The best things, the most pure things that we do, don't, they, don't, they don't get us anywhere with God. We can't, as a, as a church, say, oh, we deserve this. 
We deserve the blessing of God. We don't, we don't have anything to bring, right? I have no gifts to bring. Pa-ra-pa-pum-pum, right? Is, that a, is it too early for a Christmas song reference? Um, we can't say that we deserve anything. We aren't better than this church or that church. No, we are. We, we, we need God's grace as much as everyone. And that's the first recognition. Be gracious to us. We, we don't deserve this. The second thing to notice is that God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us. May he make his face shine on us, it says. This, this psalm is a song, a song that would be used in corporate worship. Uh, and, and, and that this song is included in Scripture, I think, should at least uh, encourage us that God, in fact, does want us to pray it and that God, in fact, does want to answer it. Why else would he include it? And brothers and sisters, here is our hope and our joy. God wants to bless us. He loves being gracious and kind to us. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. This is who he is. Uh, Psalm 119, 132 is one of my favorite verses. It says, turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. God has a way, just the way that he is. And his way with those who love his name, he turns to them. He's gracious to them. Psalm 81.10, another great one. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. You hear God's heart. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless his people. Now, how do those first two points go together? How is God able to look at people who don't deserve it and to bless them anyway? How can, how can God's face shine when he looks at us? Well, because of Jesus, of course. In, in fact, because of Jesus, we know not only that he, he can bless us, but that he has blessed us. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. He died in our place, laying down his life for ours. He took the punishment we deserve. Right? He, he dove in front of the, the oncoming truck, pushed us out of the way, and took the hit. Right? He, uh, he took our, willingly took our death sentence so that we could walk away acquitted. He died, and then he rose from the dead. And, and our confidence and our hope is that he lives. Right? Jesus Christ is breathing to this day. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Right? Be- because he lives, we know that he has blessed us and that he wants to bless us. He will bless us. So we should ask him for that. We should ask him. And this might strike you a little wrong. Like, you know, is this prosperity preaching? Like we move into a new building and this is the direction we go. Like, no. Uh, but is- isn't it selfish? Isn't it a selfish thing to ask God to bless us? God bless us. And the answer is no. I don't think so. And it leads to our second point is why we pray this. Because there, there's a reason given in the psalm. Look at verse 1 again. My, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Be gracious to us and bless us for a reason, for a purpose. So that your way may be known on earth, 
your salvation to all nations. This gets to the very, very start of Judaism, the very beginning of uh, the people of Israel, and it gets to the very heart of God. Abram, uh, or who later became Abraham, was, of course, the father of the Israelites. And in Genesis 12, when we're introduced, the first time we, we, we are introduced to Abram, uh, here's what God says when he calls him. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, from your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. We see here the same pattern as is in Psalm 67, don't we? I will bless you, Abram. I will, make, I will make you a great nation, and you'll be blessed. I'll bless you, Abram. Right? I, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And, and through you, all the nations, all the peoples on earth will be blessed. Israel was God's chosen people. right? It's true. But they weren't chosen to exclude other nations, but rather to include them. They weren't chosen to exclude other nations, but rather to include them. What one commentator says, it is characteristic of the Old Testament that alongside the sustained commitment that Yahweh has to Israel, the work of God cannot be contained in and for Israel, but always spills over onto the larger horizon of other peoples. God's people were to be a fountain, not a barrel. At a barrel, you fill up and you seal it off to you know, keep whatever contents you put in there. Preserve it. A fountain, you don't fill fill it up and seal it off. No, a fountain you fill up so that it overflows, and so it keeps overflowing. God's people were to be a fountain. They didn't always get this right, of course, but that doesn't negate the call and the plan of God. God's blessings were to come to Israel, yes, but they were to go through Israel to the rest of the world. And this is what we see in Psalm 67. Bless us, Lord, bless us, so that the peoples will know your salvation. It continues in verse 4. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Again, bless us so that the nations will rejoice. All the people should shout for joy because God judges the peoples with fairness. God is a just judge. He's a good judge. All wrongs are repaid. No one gets away with anything in the universe. He lifts up the orphan and the widow and all those who are oppressed. He leads the nations on earth, it says. God's sovereign plan cannot be thwarted. Right, we, we are skeptical of authority in our, uh, in our day and age, and, and often rightly so. Um, but godly authority is a blessing and should be rejoiced in. And, and our God is a perfect and fair leader. He's good. He's just. He's righteous. And we should rejoice in that. And all people should rejoice in that. Every nation on earth should submit to this great ruler, this gracious king. The chorus, the refrain of, of this psalm is in verse 3 and 5. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. God is so worthy of our praise. 
He's so worthy of all the honor and glory and praise of every human being who has ever lived, who is living now, or who will ever live in the future. There's no one like him, right? We sing it all the time. This is why we sing. It's kind of a weird thing. Have you ever thought of it? Christians, I think, are the only ones that be able to do this. We sing to God each week, right? You are worthy. You're beautiful. You're great. You're mighty. There's no one like you. And it's all true. And God's desire is that all the nations would know his ways and would see his salvation. They would rejoice and shout for joy at his fairness and his leadership. And this is why we pray for God's blessing. And let me point out here that in a very big way, this has already happened. This has already happened. When Jesus came, God's plan, his heart for the nations, right, his heart for the world didn't change. Right after his, his resurrection, Jesus left his small band of 120 followers behind and gave them instructions to what? Go make disciples of all nations. Go to the world. Just as Israel was to be a fountain, the church is to be a fountain. He said, I will be with you, <laughs> right? I will bless you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I will bless you. You will be my witnesses to the, to the ends of the earth. Talk about a big job. What, what could a small church, right, smaller than our church, and, and the only one in the world at this point, do against the global cultural influence of the Roman Empire? Right? These were mostly uneducated common people. What, what could they do about the, the pagan nations on the fringes of the Roman Empire? Right? The barbarians, the Scythians. Well... It turns out that by the Holy Spirit and the power of God, a lot, <laughs> a lot, right? In fact, we are the fruit of their labor, aren't we? We, we are, are Gentiles, yes, most of us, far from the Middle East. We are far from Jerusalem. They started in Jerusalem, and they went, just like Jesus said, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, to Africa and to Asia and to Europe. And then the message spread to North America and westward across North America uh, until it eventually made it to Texas, right, to the region where you were born, where you're from, to your great-grandparent or to your college roommate or to, to a friend, to somebody who told you about Jesus and you believed and you trust in Jesus if you're a Christian. And, and now here we are in a building built for the express purpose of worshiping and serving Jesus Christ of Nazareth in Tomball, Texas. We, we are the nations, right? And we are praising God. If the, if the, the, the disciples, if those 120 could have seen us today, what would they have thought? But we know that in another big way, this is yet to happen. This is yet to happen. We know of the 8 billion people in the world um, a little over 3 billion are unreached with the gospel of Jesus. They have little or no access to the gospel at all. They are without hope and without God in the world. They are enslaved to, to demonic forces that hold them captive. Many people are born and live and die without ever, ever even hearing the name of Christ. And we, and we, aren't, we aren't talking simply about lost people here. Right, um, the, the Mormons across the street, right? They're believing lies, right? They're believing lies that they can work their way to God's favor, right? And what a sad way to live! What a lie! What a way to waste your life! 
right? And, and they need Jesus and they need his grace, right? But they're right across the street, <laughs> right? They, ha- they don't have the light, but, but they're, they're surrounded by lights. I hope we have some great conversations with them. I hope we're praying even this morning as we look out the window and see the church. Like, we need to pray for them. We need to speak with them. But, but the unreached nations, they're lost and they're in deep, deep darkness. They, they don't have churches. They don't know Christians. They, many don't even have Bibles in their languages. And for them, we hear the call and we shout the prayer, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Let them praise you. Charles Spurgeon said this, as showers which first fall upon the hills afterwards run down in streams into the valleys, so the blessing of the Most High comes upon the world through the church. We are blessed for the sake of others as well as ourselves. God deals in a way of mercy with his saints, and then they make that way known far and wide, and the Lord's name is made famous in the earth. Ignorance of God is the great enemy of mankind, and the testimonies of the saints, experimental and grateful, overcome this deadly foe. God has a set way and method of dealing out mercy to men, and it is the duty and privilege of a revived church to make that way to be everywhere known. A duty and a privilege. And maybe you say, well, Lawson, what can we do? You know, we're pretty small. We have limited resources. You know, we have our own struggles and challenges to bear up under, you know, much less having to reach the world. And and I just would point you back to the 120 disciples, right? When, When Jesus ascended, they were timid. They were unsure without any precedent, <laughs> they, they had one thing. They had a command from Jesus. Wait for power from on high. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And may I suggest that if we, if we try to reach the world on our own power, we will have no lasting success. If we try to do anything in our own power, we will have no lasting success. We will bear no fruit that, that perseveres. But if we are clothed with power from on high, or if the spirit falls with fire, then the only limit to our effectiveness will be the limit of the power of God. Francis Schaeffer said this, the central problem of our age is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than in the power of the spirit. A real question for us to confront, honestly, I think, is this. Are we content to simply do, what, do the Lord's work in our own power and then get the results that we can get? Or are we hungry for the Holy Spirit's power? Are we hungry for his presence? Are we hungry for his leading? He can do more in a second than we can do in a whole lifetime, can he? We need to do, as as Schaefer said, the Lord's work in the Lord's way, not in the flesh. We can't be content and self-satisfied. We have to be content with nothing but the light of his face. May your face shine on us, Lord. We need your presence. As we launch this building today, we pray that God would be gracious and bless us, but not for us alone. 
right, for the joy of all peoples. We are to be a fountain, all the blessing of God pouring out through us to the world around us. Thirdly, what can we expect from God? Verse six, the earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God, our God, blesses us. Uh, verse six is the only verse in the past tense in, uh, in this psalm. And, and God has, this points out that God has already been gracious to us and blessed us, right? In, in <laughs> infinite and wonderful ways, right? Preeminently, preeminently in Christ, who we will praise forever. But, but all of God's blessings come along with Christ, right? He who gave us his own son, won't he also with him give us everything? He will. And today we celebrate this fantastic facility that is a gift from God. We can look back over the last uh, like six years since we bought this property, which I can't believe it's been six years, and say, we can say God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful. I was talking to people in the lobby. Everyone said the same thing. Man, God has been so faithful. <laughs> yes, he has. This facility is a tool that will allow us to minister to each other, to our community, and to the nations. Now, we can dream of the ways that this building will be used for helping the needy, right? for education, for caring for children, for theological training, for equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for counseling, for sending missionaries to the ends of the earth. Every good gift comes from God, we know. Right? And, and he gave us this one. He gave us the people and the resources, the opportunity, the help, and the protection that our church needed. It's all from him. And so we rejoice today. This is such a, a joyous and momentous occasion. So God has blessed us, right? But what, what can we expect going forward? What can we expect from God? Look at verse 7. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. As we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness... As we wait for power from on high and follow the Holy Spirit, as we ask God to be gracious to us and to bless us, we can expect that he will do that. He will do that, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. That's what it says, right? That's what, for God will bless us. All the ends of the earth will fear him. What does this mean? Never underestimate what God might use our church family to do. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but he's God, right? Uh, in Revelation 5 and 7, we see a vision of the future. And we see around the throne of God, you can read it later, we, around the throne of God, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping the lamb who was slain, praising Jesus. We see the promise that God made to Abram in Genesis 12 marvelously fulfilled. Right? We see the, this prayer from Psalm 67, that all peoples would praise him. A prayer that resounded perhaps from David's harp um, through the ages and now even from us today. This prayer is answered fully and magnificently. We see the words of Jesus that his people will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, gloriously fulfilled around the throne of God. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping the Lamb. So as we begin our church family's life in this new building. We, we worship, we pray, we work, we serve in the great confidence that God will bless us and that all the ends of the earth will fear him. We know how this ends. We know where history goes. We, we are not, we're not questioning how this goes in the, in the end. Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Uh, we, we know that, as Paul says, in the Lord, our labor is never in vain. What a precious verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Your, your work in the Lord is never in vain. Think of how marvelous this is. Right? No diaper lovingly changed. No person comforted. Right? No gospel winsomely shared. No kindness done. No floor vacuumed. No earnest prayer said. Nothing, nothing goes unnoticed and unused by our Father in accomplishing his purposes. And he will accomplish his purpose. So brothers and sisters, can we give ourselves again to our Savior today? Can we look again to Calvary's cross, to his shed blood and his body broken for us? Can we look to the empty tomb and to the risen and reigning Lord Jesus and be moved to renew our commitment to make disciples and make much of Jesus? Can we commit anew to make the real gospel recognizable in Tomball and to the nations? This has been our purpose. This is our purpose. This will always be our purpose because Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our praise, of all the honor, of all of our affection, of all of our hope, of all of our life. He's worthy of it. Friend, if you're listening to this, maybe, and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please just hear one thing from Psalm 67 as we close. Um, it says, let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness. The thing about fair judges, judges who know everything, as God does, is that they rightly punish wrongdoing. And, and we can't think oh good, God will destroy those evil people out there. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a writer who was in prison in the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin, uh, wrote this. He saw plenty of evil in the world, right? Um, and he wrote this, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his, own, of his own heart? We all have evil in our hearts. So, so how can the psalmist say that the nation should rejoice at the fair judgment of God? Are we to rejoice at our own judgment? No. The only way you'll be able to rejoice at the judgment of God is if you see that the judge got down from the bench and took the punishment due your evil. God had to destroy evil. And the only way to destroy evil without destroying us was for him to take the evil on himself and be destroyed on the cross. Jesus died in our place. This is why we sing. And you can sing too. He died and he rose for our freedom. And I'd love to invite you to step into his freedom this morning. You can. His arms are open wide. And if you do, then I'd love for you to join us in, in communion in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful um, for the blessing of this building. 
Thank you for this facility. Thank you for those who worked so hard uh, to make, make it happen. Um, thank you for, for just the great, great gift that you've given us. May you, Lord, be gracious to us, bless us. May your face shine on us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation to all people. Would all the peoples praise you, God? Would the, the unreached nations, would they praise you? Would they see how wonderful you are? Would they see what you have done? Lord, please, please protect us from the, the devil and his schemes. Please protect us from selfishness, from pride, from, from hoarding of your goodness. Lord, make us an overflowing fountain of your grace. In every way that you've blessed us personally, in every way that you've blessed us as a church, would, would we not terminate that on ourselves, but would, would we pour out your blessing on others? Lead us in the right way, Holy Spirit, and please help us to always follow you. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.